We're going to turn our attention here now for for a bit uh, to Psalm 145. I'd encourage you to get there. Uh, If you've got a phone, great. If you've got a paper Bible, maybe a little better because you're going to need to jump around a bit. But either way, get there. Uh, Psalm 145. The Psalms teach us how to feel, think, act, and speak in line with God's heart. There are several ways in which the Psalms condition our hearts after God's. Thanksgiving, confession, lament, reverence, instruction, and praise. Psalm 145, today, it will condition our hearts to praise the Lord, to praise Him in wonder, in gratitude, and in faithfulness. So, uh, I know we sat down out of reverence for God's Word. I'd ask that you all stand as we, as we read, or as I read, Psalm 145 for us today. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears the cry, their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Psalm 145 speaks of inexhaustible praise. I think the exact words we get in the, uh, in the ESV translation are unsearchable greatness. The inexhaustible uh, uh, expanse of God's glory. Uh, and, and I could go on and on. We've, we've just read it here uh, about how David does this. But I think if we want to feel what he's feeling here, he's really excited. He's really uh, praising God. He's, he's pouring forth uh, so much praise that he can't really even contain himself. Uh, it's like, um, I think everybody's got some story like this. 
Uh, everybody's got a story uh, that they go back to time and time again. Um, I think oftentimes, if like in middle school, I found this this kind of feeling here a lot in, uh, in amusement parks. If you know someone who likes roller coasters, be like, hey, you've been on a roller coaster? And then here you go. And they just kind of just roll it on and on and on and on about how awesome this one is and that one is. And have you been here and there? And you just exude this, this excitement for what it is. Um, one, of these, uh, one of these for me is, uh, is kind of a strange one. It's, uh, it's this music festival that like happened for like 30 years and I went to several of them. It's called the Cornerstone Music Festival. It was just like, it was this awesome, uh, I don't know, it was like 20,000 people go camping for a week and they're like some 300, you know, artists, Christians, or at least they say they're Christian artists uh, at all these different stages over like five, six, seven days. And you just camp and it's like all the recesses of subculture all come together and you don't get kind of the dominant subculture. You get all this interesting thing. My friends and I would go to this all the time. Uh, like every single, every single year we go to it again and again and again, it was tradition. And it's this thing where it just, it's another world. It's this thing created that, that you can't experience outside of that week. And, and when anyone ever asks, Hey, you ever been to Cornerstone music festival? Well, let me tell you. And I could go on and on and on. I think in the words of David, I could, I could tell you the unsearchable greatness of Cornerstone music festival forever and ever. Now that's just a weird example of mine, but I'm sure you have something like that. There's something, some experience, some, some vacation that you've you've gone on, some big victory that you've had in your marriage or in parenting or, or at the workplace or in school where it was this really long, drawn-out season and, and something amazing happened and you just want to go back to it and explore it over and over and over again. Well, David has this. Uh, and, and, and David's had this for many things. Right here in Psalm 145, he's taken this energy. He's taken this, uh, this praise, this joy that he's found, and he's packaged it up and given it to the congregation to teach us how to praise God this way. We get excited. He knows that. We understand good things when we see him. He knows that. He wants to help us go the best way and shape our words and our attitudes and our understanding of God as we praise him. Because he knows if we have a right understanding and view of God in his name, in his character, and, uh, and in his works, then we will be able to praise rightly for the end of our days and forevermore. So Psalm 145, very, very uh, concisely, Psalm 145 demonstrates to us the unsearchable greatness of the Lord's name his character, and his works. It does this in three ways. Uh, there are many ways to slice this up for just order in, uh, in the next few minutes that I'll be speaking. I think, I think we can see this in three ways. The Lord's works declare his greatness. The Lord's works expand our gratitude, and the Lord's works invite our faithfulness. They declare, uh, his works declare his greatness, expand our gratitude, and invite our faithfulness. So here we go. The Lord's works declare his greatness. Now we see in these first verses, one through three, David's already kind of poured that out. He says, I'm going to talk about this a bunch. I'm going to draw this glory to your name and how you work. Now here in verse, uh, verses four through 13, he's going, to, uh, he's going to anchor this praise in who God is, and he's going to explain how God works. So just follow along with me. Verse four through, uh, through nine, I'm going to speed through it. Verse 4, he says, your eternal praise will be commended from generation to generation. This is, that is, every generation will declare your works. We see who you are by what you do, God. 
Verse 5, he says, "Ah, Upon these works, your wondrous works, I will meditate. Verse 6 and 7, he says, When I do meditate on these wondrous works, I don't simply see, but I hear them pouring forth praises of your might, pouring forth praises of your greatness, of your goodness, of your righteousness. And then the question that maybe David's not asking, but he's definitely answering is, so why do your works sing so much of you? Why can't your works contain their praise of you? Verses 8 and 9 answer this. It's because the character of the Lord. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has. See, something happens here. You can make note of verse uh, 8 and 9. There will be a couple more as we go along. There are, there, there are two kind of things that are happening as, as the psalm develops itself. One is that David is going to speak of the works of God, of what God does, his activity, his actions. But here in verses 8 and 9, it says, why, do we, why, why all this activity? Why do these things? Verse 8 and 9 anchors it in something more foundational than what God does. It anchors it in who he is. Why does God act this way? Why does he deal with us this way? Why are these things so great? Because of who God is. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He is good. His mercy is over all that he has made. Because of who God is, he acts that way. He has perfect integrity with himself. We can praise God because we see his glorious works. We see who he is. And that reveals to us snippets of who he is. We have a God who is abounding in steadfast love, and we can see it work out that way. The Lord works. Uh, the Lord's works declare his greatness. And I will turn here because we, we know who God is. We see that his works are declaring his greatness. We're going to see that his works are, are, are purposed to condition our gratitude, to expand our gratitude of him. And he does this through the language of kingdom. Verses, verses 10 through 13 then, it takes this turn here. It says, all your works, so we're still talking about that, shall give thanks to you. And all your saints shall bless your name. So now we have some people here. All of your works shall, do that, uh, shall give thanks. All of your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of your kingdom. At the end of verse 12, it says, The glorious splendor of your kingdom. Uh, the beginning of verse 13, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. So how do we get gratitude out of a kingdom? Because at the beginning of that says, All your works give thanks. Somehow, his works... Uh, the works of God are illustrating to us his kingdom and are inviting us then into thanksgiving. So as someone who's reading this saying, why are you talking about a kingdom? Why am I thankful for the kingdom? I feel like we should pause there and ask those questions, not just skim over it and say, these are great words, let's sing them. How does the kingdom of God bring forth our gratitude? So what is the kingdom? I think that's the first thing we need to look at. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is very concisely wherever 
People live under the rule and reign of Christ. That's a, that's a common definition, a simple definition. Um, I'm sure we could flesh this out more, but it's simple. I'm going for simple right now. A kingdom is wherever people live under the rule and reign of Christ. The idea of the kingdom is one of the central concepts that shapes our understanding of our relationships with God, with each other, with ourselves. So this idea of the kingdom, uh, Albert Moeller, he's the president of the uh, what is it, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he says this. Uh, you can read it here on the, on the screen. At the center of the Christian worldview stands a hope centered in the rule and reign of Christ, a reign that will one day be revealed to the entire cosmos. See, this praise of God, David, David wants to do two things here. He was, he's bringing in this idea of the kingdom because throughout the Psalms, we've been reading of this king. And he's saying, what, what do we do with this king? Are we, are we terrified of him forever? No, we have this praise of him because we understand the rule and reign of Christ is, 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 an, is an expression of his steadfast love. Now, if we think that God is just going to punish us all the time, then this rule and reign is going to be a terrible thing. But because we see that, that God is just and that God is loving and God is merciful and God forgives those who come to him, we're really going to get into this at the end of the psalm here today. This idea of forgiveness, this idea of compassion then we can see that the rule and reign of Christ is actually the best way to live, to submit ourselves to it in a good way, to, to live under it, to respect it. But we also see that we can have hope in this kingdom. We can have hope in this king. It's not simply just an idea that Christians, oh yeah, they talk about this kingdom of God thing. Because God is real, because this hangs on the foundational truths of God being real and being gracious and merciful and all the things it tells us, we know that the king that's described here is also real. We can have real hope in a real king who is governing a real kingdom. That's a true joy that we can have. And, and it takes a little bit of that, that abstract thinking to, to think of ourselves as citizens of a kingdom. But I don't think it's that abstract. I think if we really get down to it, there's a language, there's an authority, there's, there's, there's a way of obedience that we're conditioned to, we're going to get there, that we all understand this, even though if that language isn't stuff we use in every day, the reality of it is that we're here for a reason. We understand today that there's something bigger and more sovereign and more powerful and real about this God. And so all of us are sitting here in this room wondering what is going on. How do we understand this God? So even if we want to say some of the Christian things, some of the Christian uh, examples and analogies are, 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 are a little funny, a little strange, it's because it's supposed to shift us from a view of what we think of politics and kings and rulers today. We're invited into something deeper and real and lasting. But the kingdom isn't the point here. It's only uh, one part of, of getting us to the point because the point is not sit in the kingdom. The point is be thankful for the kingdom. The Spirit is inviting us as he moved David to write these verses. Is he says, all your works shall give Thanks. He invites us into this thankfulness. See, throughout the Bible, the kingdom of God focuses on the sovereignty of God, on his, on his power, on his might, on his divine initiative to make things happen. If it weren't for God's sovereignty and his divine initiative, we'd have nothing. I mean, we get down to it and we think, if God doesn't act, 
nothing happens. He creates, he delivers, he redeems, he sustains. He moves us in the direction that he has planned, the good purposes of his story of salvation. Because the Lord is gracious and merciful, he's slow to anger. Because the Lord is good to all, because his mercy is over all, we can be thankful for this king and this kingdom. Because God, our triune creator, created us in his image for community. We can be thankful because God, our conquering king, delivers us from sin, uh, from slavery to sin. We can be thankful because God, our victorious Lord, reigns over us forever. There's so many truths that come from this, that, that when we ask this question of what is the king, uh, who is the king and what is his kingdom, and how might I be thankful, we find that it's unsearchable greatness, that, that there's so much to be thankful, that we don't have to rule our day. We don't have to rule our lives. We don't have to make way for our salvation. We can give that to a conquering king who does and can and wants to and is able. So Psalm 145, it conditions us so that, we, uh, so that we praise God. So that the works, so that his works declare his greatness, his works expand our gratitude. And here's kind of the big part for us. This is kind of where it turns to us in these, these next verses. Is that the Lord's works invite us to faithfulness. So we, we, we hear about God's character. We hear about his works and his activity. But now we're going to hear how it shapes us, how it invites us, how, uh, what it requires of us. See, his character, uh, God's character and his actions, they clarify, they demonstrate, they shape our character and our actions. It's not that God's just making stuff up. He's telling us what to do. It's not that he's just sitting there saying, I just want, uh, why don't all my people do this? And because he's God and he's good, then it just happens to be a good thing. There's something that, that, that David understands, and he wants us to, to, reveal, uh, to reveal to us here in this text, is that God works when he gives us a requirement, when he invites us to something, when he works with us somehow, it is always perfectly in line with who he is. Now, I know we already marked out you know, verse 8 and 9 as, as, as a statement of who God is. Now, I want to go through here a little bit more and, and point these other verses out. Uh, at the end of verse 13, we get a statement of who God is. The Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all his works. Or he's faithful in all his words, kind in all his works. In verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. These are kind of those, those pillars that, that, that the psalm is built on. God is who he is, and that is beautiful and worthy of praise. We only need three or four verses here to, 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 to have what we need for our praise. But because God is gracious and merciful, he inspires David to write more. And, and so the next level is, is, is what we've just gone through. And here's how he works perfectly in line with who he is. He deals with us this way. So he deals in creation and proclaims himself this way. And now he's going to turn the corner and say, and now you people, congregation, this is how he deals with you. And this is how he shows you his character. So verse 14. We'll read through verse 14 through 20 here. Uh, and I'm just going to highlight a few things. What does God do? How does he deal with us? Or rather, how does he deal with all people? Uh, The Lord upholds, 
These are things that God does. The Lord upholds. We read on, the Lord raises up. He gives food in due season. The Lord opens his hand. The Lord satisfies. The Lord is near. The Lord fulfills. He hears. He saves. And he preserves. That sure sounds like a Lord who is abounding in steadfast love. These are the things that God does. This is how he reveals himself to us. This is how he deals with you and I. Not from up in the cloud. In everyday life. This is how he works in his kingdom now. But I want to clarify here as we go through this. Uh, he's doing this to all people, but then those all people, just how many times the word all and every comes up, every time comes, uh, and the word every comes up, it's painting a picture that God does this freely, openly. It's there, it's available to all people. He wants to fulfill and hear and save and uphold and raise up, but we need to be careful with the text and see What are those people doing? What is the posture of those people? See, what God does shapes us, requires us to be something and respond rightly to him. He doesn't just uphold everybody. He doesn't fulfill everybody. He doesn't open his hand to everybody. There are certain kinds of people. Let's go through these verses again and see what kind of person God is dealing with or relating to in this way. It says, to all these people who are falling... To all who are bowed down, to all who look at you, to all who call on him, to all who fear him, to all who love him. Now, I, I first, when I read this, um, I thought, God's generous. He's just pouring love out here and there. But it's amazing that the way you take and receive, probably receive is the better word. You receive God's love. God's steadfast love is that you do it in the way of these people. We do it humbly. See, God is saying, I am a God who has limitless love, limitless power, limitless justice and mercy. I have done all these things. And we could praise God because he says, it's yours. It's yours. I want you to have this. I'm giving this to you. But there is a way to take this. It's not just for everyone. I'm not just dumping out the banquet on everyone's plate. It says, you got to come up here and you got to take it the right way. You need to receive this the right way. And how do we receive that? We receive that as those who in our hearts, in our minds, uh, in relation to maybe our, our, our pride and our view of ourselves as kings and our view of him as king, uh, as, as king, living in a kingdom. We are thankful for this. So it moves us to a place and a posture where we are, are those who are falling, who are bowed down, who look to God, who call on him in truth, who fear him, who love him. Because God is who he is, he acts in a way that is loving. And because he acts in a way that is loving, it requires us to receive it in a certain kind of way. I think all too often uh, we hear sermons and we hear, uh, we hear pastors and we hear ways of uh, read books and, and, and we go a direction that makes it seem like uh, Christianity is, is a way to remind ourselves that we are worthy of his love and we, uh, and we deserve his love and we have done uh, an amazing amount of stuff so that God creates us, uh, thinks it's amazing, chases after us and then wants to do whatever we want him to do so that we'll be happy and we can live together. No, God is, God is just and he can't, he can't dwell in the midst of our sin. And so he creates us and he knows that we're fallen and he says, I want to be king. That's, that's in line with what's right. 
please come. Please be a part of this. I want to offer this to you. I want to do whatever I can to make this possible for you, but you've got to be in line with my kingdom. He says, I don't want a superficial, doctored-up, spiritual version of you. I don't, I don't want you to cover that up. You don't need to cover that up with me or with each other. When you come on Sunday morning, yeah, maybe, maybe you know, take a shower, comb your hair. That's great. But don't cover up everything that you are hurting about. Don't cover that up. We don't need to be all happy here on Sunday morning because, let's face it, we're not all happy here when we leave. We're not all happy here every day. God can be, uh, can be seen as glorious because his works show that he is deeply invested into people who are messy. And that is his message to us. Come to me, all who are weary. Come to me. I want you, the messy you, the real you. But you must be humble to receive this. You must be teachable to receive this. You must be willing to live under my reign and rule. Okay, I, feel like, I feel like the psalm has set this up here uh, really well. This isn't the only time this kind of thing is talked about. And this isn't talked about so somberly as, as maybe I'm taking a psalm of praise. In the New Testament, we hear time and time again this idea that we can praise God because we bring nothing to the table. He does it all. His creation, his works, they declare his praise. So I'm going to read through a few of these, uh, through a few of these passages that link together the fact that we can praise God because he is doing the work of salvation for us and in us. Philippians 3, 7 and 8 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I think that's, I've got to say that Paul is reading the Psalms here and especially Psalm 145 because Psalm 145 never says, my works are great and I've got a great relationship with God. It's saying, God, you're doing it all and everything you're doing is wonderful. Whatever I gained on my own, I count it lost because of the work the magnificent, almighty, wondrous work of Christ on the cross. That's where my praise comes from. Not because I'm doing well and we're good and I happen to go to church too. Echoing the end of, of, of Psalm 145, James says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Many times James uh, uh, rebukes us and he says, don't boast in yourself. Don't boast in this or that. Don't, don't talk trash about the people that you know and love. Don't look at yourself as better than them. You're not good. You, you're just maybe less bad as them if you really want to go that way. He says, but, but that's not even the way that we assess this. We need to look at the holiness of God as the righteousness of God. Let the lowly brother, the one who in his heart is falling, the one who in his heart is bowed down, the one who in his heart is looking to God to be satisfied, the one who aligns his desires to God's desires. And when aligned to his desires, he can have great praise and exaltation because God's desire is that some might be saved. And in that we can find joy. Last one here. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace 
you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. I might say, not a result of your works, but of his works, so that no one may boast. I mean, these are really substantial. This is a a really compelling case to, to praise God for who he is and what he does. Okay, now, we've been up in the clouds here for quite a long time. I'm going to drop this down and say, what does this mean for us this week? What does this mean as we go away from here? We can't exhaust the praises of God. You see, uh, oftentimes it's our lack uh, of praise. Uh, our lack of praise is oftentimes more of an assessment of how we view God, his character, his actions, who's running the show, who really is the king. It's more of a reflection of that. It's never really a reflection of, of God. If we don't have words, we just haven't thought through some of that. Now, taking some of the words, maybe three, three points here. Um, taking some of the words that we, that we, that we get in Psalm 145 and, and, and seeing how they, what their significance is for us this week. We hear that, that the Lord is great and greatly to be praised, and we will praise his name forever. There's a time of praising God, and that's forever. There is no limit to how long and when we can praise God. And I think sometimes when we read this, this idea of this eternal kingdom of God, uh, if, you, if you're like me, I do this. And, and I, I hate that I do this, but I always do this. I think kingdom, that's a little abstract. Eternal, way abstract. And so I'm almost like the eternal kingdom of God, it's always up here. And it's always like I'm always looking out that way. It's like uh, I like looking at stars. I don't actually, like I act like I know constellations. They never, I'm terrible at it. Like there's Orion and it's like nowhere near that at all. It's so bad. So I stare at this looking at what I think is, you know, it ends up being, a, you know, an airplane. I'm like, okay, there. And, and, and I'm staring, I'm staring. I get lost in this and I get lost in this. And it's kind of like when I look up at the heavenlies, I think this is great and this is wonderful. And I then, you know, because of bad balance, kind of tip over and whatever. And it reminds me immediately, wait a second, I'm, I'm still here in Iowa. We do that with the kingdom of God a lot. Hey, whoa, God is great. This is great. Psalm 145 is actually up here, and I'm never going to look down, right? You're still got your two feet planted in Iowa right now. So what does this mean for us? The time of God is not eternal. We don't just sit here and trudge through our weekly schedule and just think God is eternal. Someday, maybe eternity away, Christ will come back and it'll be good. So I'll just trudge along in Iowa. And that's kind of how we view our week. No, 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 no. Because his name is great and can be praised forevermore, we can praise him right now. We can praise him in all of the small mundane moments of our week. Maybe we need to do a work, and this is where I'm really going to go. Maybe we need to do a work of redeeming our time so that we can cultivate a heart of praise, not only in ourselves, but in the generations to come, right? Because that's what this is moving us to. Here are some times that we don't really use too redemptively. Supper. It's more like, if you have kids, it's more like free-for-all chaos. I guess maybe if you're Casey, I just outed ourselves. Um, Supper, uh, the, the commute to and from work or to school and back. Bedtime, lots of Facebook scrolling. Uh, the, uh, in the early morning, just roll out of bed five minutes before work and grab some coffee and go. There's, there's time there to set your day. 
How do we go about that? Uh, here's one way we do this. Um, so this is something my family has done before. This isn't something we're doing right now, so I don't want to like, make it sound like I'm awesome. So uh, on our Facebook page, it's the Heartland Community Church Facebook page. Um, there is a, an article posted from Navigators uh, on the names of God, praying the names of God or something like that. So I just took that, copied it over to a piece of paper, printed it out, chopped them up, put them in a cup right in the middle of your table. Right? And you can do this with a question you have of God or a verse in the Bible or um, uh, an attribute of God, something like that, or a fruit of the Spirit. And you just, okay, today, supper, uh, Casey's going to be talking about God is transcendent. Wow, that's going to be great for my two-year-old. Um, so here we go. So this, this article online, you know, it just kind of gives that. Uh, and it says, uh, God is transcendent. God is not merely imminent. Uh, the highest being, he is transcendent, existing beyond uh, existing beyond and above the created universe. Okay, that's going to take a while to unpack. Uh, it, gives us a, it gives us some scripture here. We read it together and we talk about what does this actually mean? Now, it's going to push you, as you can tell. You're probably like, what does any of those words mean? You're going to have to get on your game. Teaching the next generation teaches us to know the things of God. And that's the challenge. So you have to explain this. I just ripped it. We're not doing that one. Um, so uh, you have to explain it. And you have to invite them into it. We've done this with our kids with the fruits of the Spirit. What is joy? Can you tell us a time that you were joyful? And you just pick them randomly. Because when, when, the, when the end of the day comes, if you're like me, I'm just thinking, I don't want to think. I just want some peace and quiet. And I'm going to go to lazy, apathy, and the next generation doesn't get the awe of God. They're not taught how to praise God. That's a fantastic way to go about that. I think it's fantastic because I kind of made it up. So there's a... There's some of that. It works. It's good. And then give feedback. If you're in a community group, this is a great time to workshop some of that stuff. What works? What doesn't work? What questions are you having? Listen to your kids. Write their questions down. And then talk about it some other time. It'd be fantastic. Redeem your supper and your commute and your bedtime. There is no limit to the time we have to praise God. It's not up eternal. It can happen every minute of every day. Don't limit the words of your praise. If God's greatness is unsearchable, we have so much we can look for. There is no deeper truth than God's name, his character, and his works. So keep searching. I promise you, every single one of you, myself included, you have not arrived at the all-encompassing knowledge of God. You have only scratched the surface of it. And even if you have been around it for decades, you have only scratched the surface. Keep searching. If you are new to it and it's overwhelming because I'm telling you this, here's a great reading plan. Read the book of John. Don't start in Genesis. Start in John. Ask the question, who is Jesus? Who does he say he is? Who do other people say he is? Okay, and then maybe go back again, read it again, and ask the question, what does this mean? Uh, uh, what does this require of me? Who he is and what he does requires me to respond rightly. That's what Psalm 145 is saying. That's what our praise is. And this is what he says. So if it says he's the bread of life. Okay, that's weird. What does that mean? And how do I receive that bread? He says, I am the door. That's weird too. What does that mean? And how do I enter through that door? It's there. And that's the great thing about this. Because he is true, there are actual real answers to our questions. Okay, one more here, because uh, our kids are, are, are clamoring to come back in, because they're loving, they're loving the preaching right now, I'm guessing. Um, so uh, there is no limit to the, place, uh, to the place of his praise. His kingdom is eternal. It is everywhere. We are never outside of his kingdom. So here's the big one. And I think if you do one thing, this is what you need to do. 
uh, as, as, as agents of change and transformation uh, in, in the world around us. We need to take those places of cursing in our, in our week, and we need to redeem them for places of praise. What are those places of cursing? Uh, the angry dashboard screaming when you're driving by yourself and venting. A lot of times we call it that. That's not a place for cursing. Those words really mean something and do something. If not to others, to your heart. You start to speak realities into it when you say cursings of others. You believe it more. They really are out for my worst. Maybe not, but you said it. Uh, Workplace grumbling or maybe school study group grumbling. You're not trying to solve the problem. You just want to grumble. Maybe a parenting debriefing and wondering why God gave us these kids. They are a train wreck. Marital venting. Uh, I think, what is it? Throwing your spouse under the bus. There we go. When you do that, redeem those places. Those are places we go that we shouldn't be going. If we are really to praise God, we can praise the work he is doing in those people and those situations. And we need to be agents of change for that. Psalm 145 declares the unsearchable greatness of the Lord's name, his character, and his works. The Lord's works declare his greatness. The Lord's works expand our gratitude. The Lord's works invite our faithfulness. Great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this about Psalm 145 and David. He said, David determined that his praise should rise to blessing. That his praise should intelligently spend itself upon the name or character of God. And that he should do this continually, world without end. Parkview Church, let us be known as a people who spend ourselves upon the name, the character, and the works of God. I mean, if that's what's on our lips and the praise of that and seeing that in everything he does, what a glorious thing. What a glorious, contagious group of people we will be because what a glorious and contagious message we've been given. Let's pray.